Welcome to the Physics Buzz Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. Today on the podcast, we're talking to two people who might seem like they're from two very different worlds. Volker Ross works at Argonne National Laboratory, a physics laboratory outside Chicago, and Francesca Casadillo works at the Art Institute of Chicago. Together, they just answered a long-standing question about the works of Pablo Picasso, and they did it using high-energy x-rays generated by the advanced photon source at Argonne National Lab. So the scientists helped the art historians, but it turns out the scientists had something to gain as well. Which really brings up the question, is it so strange when art and science coexist, even complement each other? Today's story suggests that the two go together better than we might expect. You're listening to the Physics Buzz Podcast. Hello? Hi, Francesca. This is Calla with Physics Central. Hi. Uh, is this still a good time to talk? Yeah, yeah, this is a good time. I'm home with a one-and-a-half-month-old, so you may have to edit some background noises, maybe. This is Francesca Casadillo. I'm the Andrew W. Mellon Senior Conservation Scientist at the Art Institute of Chicago. Yes, Casadillo is a scientist working at an art institute. She has a PhD in chemistry. Casadillo's job is to try and help other people at the Institute, like the art historians, the conservationists, the exhibitionists. She helps them answer questions about art using science. One of these people might ask her, hey, I have this sculpture that's made of this material. When is it going to start to decay? Or, hey, we found this really great painting, but we don't know what century it's from. What can you tell us about that? Many of the major museums, there are very small groups of scientists who work within the museum context to basically apply material science or chemistry techniques to the materials of work of art. And a few years ago, some of the people at the Institute came to Casadillo with this mystery. The mystery is about... In which works Picasso used house paint, in particular this uh, Ripollin paint, which was a very famous and uh, high-quality house paint in France at the time. Ripollin was actually the very first brand of commercial house paint that you could buy prepackaged off the shelf. It was a big deal because beforehand you couldn't paint your home yourself. You had to have a painter come over and they would have to mix the paint because Ready-mixed paint didn't exist. You could just buy white paint and then somebody had to mix in whatever color you wanted. So that was really an extreme technological breakthrough that was brought to every household. Ripollin came on the market around 1900. So Picasso was using it as he was establishing himself as an artist. And he was challenging the old school art establishment by using non-traditional materials in his art. And at that point in time, that even included non-traditional paint. There are other quotes from Picasso where he says that the language of traditional oil paint was 
expired in terms of the possibilities that it gave to the new artists and the, this uh, house paint was search of the paint of the future. And this you hear also in later artists like Jackson Pollock, uh, who used house paint as well, where he said, you know, I paint in the era of the uh, rocket and uh, exploration on the moon, and so I need new paint to express this new era. Picasso wasn't the first artist to use Ripplin, but he became one of the most influential artists to use it. Art historians are trying to speculate on his motivation for using this paint at different stages of his artistic career, because, as I said at the beginning, it was maybe an avant-garde or anti-establishment, approach to use search of uh, more proletarian material. It's really trying to analyze and better understand an intention of the artist himself. Ripplin can have a different aesthetic compared to traditional artist paint. Uh, it's glossier, it has crisper edges, and brush strokes aren't as visible in it. But just looking for that aesthetic isn't a definitive way to tell if a particular painting contains Ripplin. Some of those visible differences can be created in other ways. So if a museum wants to say that a particular painting contains Ripplin, it's an issue of accuracy that they be able to confirm that scientifically. So Casadillo is still a lot like a traditional scientist. She uses scientific tools to try to answer questions. But she has this added challenge that whenever she does an analysis, she can't harm the thing she's analyzing. Because, for example, if you wanted to find out what materials are in a particular paint sample, you could do that by dissolving the sample in various substances. But of course, no one at the Art Institute is going to dissolve a Picasso painting. Thankfully, science, and in particular physics, has provided a number of instruments that can tell you about the microscopic makeup of a material without hurting that material. Most of these techniques have very technical-sounding names. Such as vibrational spectroscopy, scanning electron microscopy, gas chromatography method, non-invasive X-ray fluorescence spectrometry, these are just a few of the techniques that Casadillo has access to, but effectively they are all types of microscopes, although that's not the technical name for them. But they're microscopes because they show you things that are very small. Now, a traditional microscope, the kind that you use to study onion slices in school, those microscopes use lenses to magnify things, and then they use optical light to illuminate the thing that you're looking at. But the techniques that Casadillo uses are fundamentally different. They don't involve magnifying lenses. They do involve light, but usually not visible light. Usually it's another form of light, like infrared light or x-rays. So these instruments will release a particular kind of light, and that light will strike the material that you're studying, and the light will pick up information about that material, then bounce back off toward a detector, and that detector will give the information to the scientist. 
And that microscopic information can tell you a lot about how that material is going to age or when it was made. So Casadillo tried using some of these techniques on the Picasso paintings, and she compared her results with samples of Ripolin and samples of traditional artist paint from that same era. And trying to determine this specific fingerprint for Ripolin. But it turns out that Ripolin and the artist paint from that era were made with the same basic compound, something called zinc oxide. So at the microscopic level, these two paints basically look the same, leaving Casadillo in basically the same spot she was in when she started. So to solve the mystery of Picasso's paint choice, Casadillo would need an even more powerful microscope. And almost purely by coincidence, word of this mystery found its way to someone who works at one of the most powerful microscopes in North America. Yes, my name is uh, Volker Rose, and I'm a physicist with the Center of Nanoscale Materials and the Advanced Photon Source at Argonne National Laboratory. Rose was working on a separate project when he heard about the problem they were having at the Art Institute. I was conducting some experiments at the Advanced Photon Source here at Argonne National Laboratory together with a postdoc, and those experiments were concerned with something totally unrelated to cultural heritage. But uh, while we were working on this experiment, uh, we were talking about a project that his girlfriend was conducting. And just by chance, she was at that time working at the Art Institute in Chicago. And I learned about a specific uh, program they were running that was focused on Picasso paints. And at that moment, I could immediately realize that what they were asking for would be easy to answer here at the Advanced Photon Source. The Advanced Photon Source, or APS, where Rose works, is kind of like one of those instruments that Casadio uses to analyze paintings. It's effectively a microscope, but it's very different than an optical microscope. But the APS is better. Now, first of all, it's actually a particle accelerator. A synchrotron, to be exact. So there's this circular track that's roughly the diameter of a baseball stadium, and scientists send electrons around this track, and that works the electrons up to a very, very high energy. Those electrons, as they're racing around the track, radiate x-rays. These are x-rays, like we know them from our doctor's office, where we get uh, our images of bones, for example. These are the same x-rays. The difference is that they are extremely bright. So we get a lot of light, and this allows us to see extremely small structures. So this is similar to some of the other techniques that Casadillo uses, but with a much brighter beam of x-rays. And with that beam, scientists can see extremely small structures. The instruments that Casadillo usually uses look at things on the microscale. But with the APS, you can look at things on the nanoscale. That's about a thousand times smaller. Five thousand people a year try to get time on one of the 60 x-ray stations at the APS. You can study a huge variety of materials with this machine. Anytime you want to know something about the nanoscale structure of a material, 
This is the place you go. You can study how a material responds to heat or pressure or time and predict how it's going to behave or try to engineer it to do something better. Or you can try to answer a question about the intentions of an artistic genius. The possibilities are almost endless. So Casadillo and Rose joined forces to analyze samples from three Picasso paintings. Casadillo and colleagues at the Art Institute agreed to remove very small blobs or flecks of paint from the paintings for the analysis. In addition, they found multiple samples of Ripplin and artist paints from the same time period to compare with the paintings. The Art Institute actually has quite a collection of cans of original Ripplin. We buy it on French eBay of all places. The beam of x-rays that gets pointed at the paint sample is only 30 to 50 nanometers wide. The human hair is typically 100,000 nanometers wide. So the beam is 20,000 times smaller than the width of a human hair. It's tiny. At this scale, certain parts of the material come into focus that are hard to make out even at the micro scale. So you not only get to see what the material is made of, you get to see how those elements are distributed, how they behave within the material. Ross uses this analogy. If you look onto the Earth from outer space, uh, you will not see individual beings. You might not even see individual houses. Uh, you are lucky to see continents. But if you get closer and closer, you will have new things that you start to see which have been there before, but you weren't able to resolve them. The same happens with our study, where you start with probes, with microscopes that don't have very high spatial resolution. So like seeing the Earth, you will see whole particles, and then you will zoom in and will zoom in, and all of a sudden, new things will appear, and you can distinguish them. You don't have to rely on an average. You can see distinctive areas that have different properties. So at the micro scale, the researchers saw that both Ripplin and the artist paint were made of zinc oxide, and they couldn't resolve any other distinguishing characteristics. But at the nanoscale, they saw structure and organization of the pigments and the binders and all of the ingredients of the paint. And they found impurities. Tiny particles of metal, too small to be seen on the microscopic scale, that cling to the pigment particles. These impurities are a byproduct of the production process. And because Ripplin and the artist paints are produced differently, they have different impurities. This was the fingerprint that Casadillo was looking for. And we can do this for the Picasso paint, and we can also do this for reference samples that we have, where we exactly know how they were made, when they were made, so we can come to this kind of conclusions by making this comparison. This is the first time that people have done this kind of in-depth investigation of these paints. The findings confirmed that Picasso used Ripplin in a painting called The Red Armchair. That was mostly expected. But there were a few surprises. Another painting called Still Life from 1920 had the look of Ripplin house paint, but it turns out Picasso just took artist paint and added something called an extender 
to give the artist paint that Ripplin aesthetic. So that was clearly a case where Picasso wanted the house paint aesthetic, but maybe didn't have the material handy and didn't couldn't be bothered to go down to the store to buy it. And so that was a surprise. But perhaps one of the biggest surprises of all, from an outsider's point of view, was that it wasn't just the artists who gained something from this. Ross says the experiments were actually informative for him as well. So while I was studying Picasso paint, the truth is I could also learn a lot about this material, zinc oxide, that can be translated into totally different cultural heritage unrelated areas. The zinc oxide itself is an interesting material because of its properties. That this is a material that can compete with uh, existing silicon materials. And these are the materials that make up basically all of our electronics around us, in our cell phones, in our computers. So Ross says zinc oxide could be used in electronics that currently use silicon. This could include photovoltaic panels for your roof, low-cost LEDs, and technologies in a field called spintronics. In fact, Ross says art conservationists who are trying to figure out how to stop corrosion and decay in works of art are actually asking many of the same questions that material scientists are asking. But even on a more conceptual level, Ross draws this comparison between the two fields. I believe art is uh, very important for us human beings. It's part of what we are, but it is also not different from science, from my perspective. Art might give us human beings a better understanding of who we are. Uh, it might touch our feelings, but science is not very different. It also shows us who we are. It helps us to understand the world around us. And sometimes it might even touch our feelings. Maybe it's time we painted over the idea that art and science are really so different. Once again, I'd like to thank Francesca Casadillo and Volker Ross for being on the podcast. The Picasso exhibit at the Art Institute of Chicago opens February 20th and will feature the painting, The Red Armchair. You've been listening to the Physics Buzz podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more Physics Buzz. 